Hello! This is FTW with Ahmad Khan. I'm your host, Ahmad Khan of Tom's Guide, and I have some exciting news. Starting today, FTW will be part of the Dot Esports Podcast Network. We're joining forces with Dot to add more esports expertise and production staff, all to make this podcast even better. We've got a new schedule too. Episodes of FTW will be available every Monday morning so you can enjoy it with your coffee or your commute. This week, we'll be talking about Nairo's return to Smash, and we'll be joined by esports consultant Cyrus Garakhanian to break it all down. And Dr. Dave Amirazvani will jump on to discuss XZ's retirement from Overwatch and how esports teams are handling player health right now. So stick with us. But first, Nairobi Nairo Quezada. The top-ranked Super Smash Bros. Ultimate player was embroiled in controversy last September when he was accused of having sexual relations with a top player, Zach, Captain Zach Louth, who was a minor at the time. Nairo was immediately banned from Twitch and dropped from his team NRG. Nairo stayed silent, but the following month announced that he was building a legal defense against Louth, claiming that the allegations made against him were false. According to Nairo, it wasn't him who made the sexual advances against Louth, but the other way around. Louth has stayed silent regarding the counter-allegations. Regardless, Nairo announced in February that both sides had reached a legal agreement and that he would soon be returning to streaming. Top players and community members, upon reading a legal document, apologized for forcing Nairo's exit from the scene and asked him to return. While Nairo is still banned from Twitch, last week he began streaming on YouTube. Tournament organizers also announced that Nairo would be allowed to compete. So, Cyrus, this is all very complicated. As an esports consultant, when this controversy was first breaking, what were you advising other tournament organizers to do? Um... So when we first learned about the situation between Nairo and Captain Zack, and mind you, this was back in July, um, the situation at the time seemed a lot more clear and a lot more, you know, easy to figure out. You know, Nairo seemed to have removed himself from the community and essentially, you know, admitted, you know, sort of uh, guilt in terms of the situation and didn't really try to combat any of the allegations made against him. So at the time... You know, to us, it seemed pretty straightforward that, you know, Nairo should not be allowed with at events and within the community. But, you know, as his side of the story came out, you know, later in the year, and as we learned more information about uh, Zach's involvement in the community and his history and such, things, you know, slowly, you know, changed the, the other way around. And I'll be honest, it was quite difficult at first to really make a decision because, you know, obviously, you know, it's, 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 you know, we don't know all the detail, the point of views and details of the case. And, you know, while it was being solved legally, which is obviously what the, the preferred method is, you know, there's a certain, it's very delicate when you're allowing someone back in the community after they were involved in such a, you know, in such a situation. So you really, what I told tournament organizers to really play it safe. Um, I personally recommended not to allow Nairo in back in the tournaments right away, but just kind of keep an eye on things and, you know, make sure to see how is the community reacting to this and making sure to, to speak to, you know, with Nairo and any relevant parties as well to kind of see what the progress is on his side and just make sure we find the right balance between both, between both parties, essentially. Um, hmm. It's really takes a lot of, a lot of monitoring the situation, a lot of investigation and really a lot of trust as well, if I'm being honest. Um, to make sure that there there isn't anything going on, you know, in the behind the behind our back or something. Mm-hmm. So I mean, so when this was first breaking, you know, what kind of investigation did you do? I mean, did you reach out to Nairo or his brother or NRG uh, to try to get to the bottom of this? 
Um, so I personally was not involved in any of the investigation uh, with Nairo or Zach or either side. Um, uh, I will, you know, as you know, there isn't right. Unfortunately, because there we don't have a code of conduct and an official Smash code of conduct anymore. There isn't really a dedicated party that really handles these sort of situations. You know, given the amount of you know cases and stories that came out in July, we kind of got overwhelmed with them. And so, what ended up happening is either the relevant regions to that case would ha- would would uh, would handle it, or if it was something that was you know more on the like national or international scale, it was usually one of the the major organizations or COs or whoever was the most well informed or well connected to those parties that would handle the case. And that's kind of what happened here. Um, you know, with when Nairo was looking to to make a return, basically, I believe it was uh. 2GG Gaming and Collision Series who were the first one to really make a complete investigation on the case. And while I'm not part of those organizations myself, and so unfortunately I don't know the details of those investigations, but I do know that uh, the result of that was that they have unbanned Nairo from their tournament series. Now, like you said, Nairo is still banned from Twitch. So unfortunately it would be difficult to allow him back into tournament because obviously still since Nairo is still a very competent player, he would most likely make it far in tournament, which would mean we would have to stream his matches. So for now, he, even himself, he said he's not really looking to compete right now. He's just looking to get back into the scene and get back in the swing of things. But that's that's basically what's been going on right now. That's who's at least handled the parties as far as I'm aware. Mm. I mean, given hindsight and the fact that there has been a larger embrace of Nairo in returning to the scene, do you feel that you know you or other consultants or tournament organizers essentially jumped the gun because there were so many stories kind of happening all at once uh, in banning Nairo outright. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's easy to say that we jumped the gun at the time. And I, and I, I do agree that there, there are a few cases where we definitely rushed our decision-making a little bit, um, given the vacuum of events that was going on and, you know, just the amount of stories that were coming out left and right. You know, a lot of First, a lot of situations we had to really make a decision on the spot. And if we let things sit for too long, it could potentially cause more damage to the community. Um, but another thing to keep in mind, and this is very relevant with the Nairo situation specifically, is that there's a lot of information that came out over time. And we got a lot new, more new perspectives, a lot better understanding of who Captain Zack was as a person, of uh, a lot better understanding of Nairo's point of view in the situation. And... A lot more, a lot more information, really. So, I think we may, I think at the time we made the best decision with the information that we had. Uh, but I do agree that had things been less hectic, we could have handled things um, a lot better and a lot more efficiently. What I found interesting about the situation was that when when things were breaking, Nairo didn't come out with a statement or any kind of grand public gesture. He kind of went totally silent. Yeah. In hindsight, what do you make of that decision? You know, it's, it's. I mean, it's hard to comment because you know, obviously, I understand Nairo's situation is very difficult, and you know, I, you know, we, I can, I can sit here and say like, oh, he should have made this statement and that statement in the moment, but obviously, you know, I don't know or understand, you know, all the all the tra- all the trauma he's going through or every, all the trouble that he's been dealing with. So obviously, it's. It's easy for me to say like, you know, oh, to criticize, it's easy for me to criticize him when I'm not in his shoes. But really, I mean, at the, at the time, you know, it, 
it, to us, it just, we were very shocked to see Naira, who's such a, a big representative on our scene, be involved in such a situation. And we felt very betrayed, really, um, by the lack of statements. And we thought that, you know, this is someone that we've looked up to for so long. This is someone that we've really cared about. And we thought that was, you know, had a, a good image. And so at the time, we, again, like I said, we felt very betrayed and we just didn't know how to feel about someone who represented our scene that was involved in such a case. But over time, we've become more understanding of a situation. And we've come to understand that, you know, not everything is black and white and there's a lot of gray areas. And we've, like you've seen, like you've seen the community has been very supportive of Naira's return. And I'm, I'm, I really hope that he's able to, to heal in the best way he can. Hmm. I remember when the story broke out, I was uh, speaking to Jacob Wolf and even he was having trouble getting a statement from Nairo. And from what I can surmise is that uh, Nairo went quickly to some kind of attorneys to try and figure out some kind of what, what the best legal course of action was. And I feel that their advice was to stay silent on the issue, which I think from a legal perspective makes more sense. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, and you know, one big point of criticism that, that the, the community had on in general is that because there's been so many cases pop up and because there isn't really a centralized party, you know, it's, you know, us tournament organizers and consultants and such, we're not, you know, we're not, professional lawyers you know we're not professional medical you know doctors and such and we don't necessarily know how to handle everything or have the time and so it's always best for you know someone who knows how to handle these types of situations to handle it such as like a like a legal party but again at the same time the community also a lot of times demands a sort of public response from the people involved and obviously when you handle things legally there's a lot of details that you cannot reveal publicly and so it's it's been really difficult to find that balance of like revealing enough legal information for the public to be satisfied, but also maintaining that privacy between both parties and making sure there isn't any sort of witch hunt between both sides. It's been it's been really difficult to, to balance. Mm. I remember hearing that there was a extended version of that legal document that did hit some of the uh, or that some of the major community members were able to read. Uh, did you get your hands on that document by chance? I did not, unfortunately. I think very, very, very few parties got a chance to read that document. I think only the the closest parties to Nairo uh, were able to read it. So, <laughs> well, now that Nairo's returned to YouTube, at least, and that you know there was a hashtag trending to try to get Nairo back on Twitch, has there been any comment or response from Twitch that you've heard of? There has been no response from Twitch whatsoever, even from Twitch representatives or any member of the smash community who happens to be working with twitch um no one said anything really so we're we're kind of just left in the dark and i I think nairo is slow i mean you know we're still nairo is still working towards getting unbanned from twitch and we're still i know a few people are still trying to push the the hashtag on twitter but at this point i think i i'm getting the feeling that people are slowly accepting the fact that nairo will be most likely streaming on youtube from now on Hmm. and i i I read that his Return to YouTube was met with a lot of fanfare. I mean, overall, what has the response been from the community? Have there been any detractors that say that he should stay away? No, overall, it's been, it's been I, I want to say, almost overwhelmingly positive. You know, people have been very, very, very supportive of Nairo, and his streams have been, you know, obviously they haven't, quit the, quite, they haven't hit quite the same level of popularity that they once used to, uh, but he's been, he's been very successful. He's been playing with a bunch of top players uh on youtube and it's it's been a great time you know obviously there are still a few people that are still a little doubtful and a little hesitant on fully supporting nairo and you know fully accepting back into the community 
and a few figureheads have even voiced their concerns online. Um, but I think over in general, most people are are understanding of Nairo's situation, and people still understand that there is always going to be reasonable doubts regarding Nairo's situation, and that he won't, you know, be totally back to a hundred percent like he was before. But I think people are just doing the best they can, and just being a, they're just being respectful of Nairo and just supporting his um his recovery process as best as possible. Mm. Have you heard any rumblings of his former team or any other teams that might be looking to pick him up? Um, no, I haven't. I haven't heard anything from any any of his former teams or any other organizations looking to to hire him. No, I haven't heard anything. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, you haven't heard either from Nairo if he wants to compete at an upcoming tournament at all yet. Um, I believe he he's loosely addressed it. Um, in a, in I think in a YouTube video. I'm not trying to look go back mm-hmm. and look. I think he's expressed interest in maybe one day go, getting back into attending events. Uh, at least when offline returns, but I don't. He's. I think he's mentioned it's not his main priority right now. It's. It's not for a long time. <laughs> and on the stream when he was playing, I mean, how was his play? Is he back to form, or is he still uh, not quite there yet? Um. Obviously, he's he's lost a bit of a uh, lost a bit of form, but he's he's still as strong as ever, and he's still able to compete against the, the best of the best. So, um. I mean, I, I don't. He's. I don't think he's at the same level as he once used to, but he, he's still definitely the same strong Nairo that we we know and love. So. Hmm. And then I want to touch on a different topic, you know, while I have you for a few minutes. And Mm -hmm. there was, you know, along with that controversy that was breaking out in September, top player Zero was also implicated on essentially, uh, or was accused of uh, minor grooming or grooming a minor. And it was, it's since come to light, at least in the last few weeks, that there was a suicide attempt and uh, he had to, he was rushed to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you make of this situation where you have top members of this community that are essentially exiled and then maybe put into a situation where they may self-harm. Are there better ways for the community to try and deal with these types of issues? You know, as, as much as, you know, a lot of these uh, cases are very sensitive and, you know, obviously I'm not here to to condone any of the actions that were made by some of these um, players and figureheads that are out of the community now. I definitely don't agree with the way the community has been handling these types of situations. You know, we've seen a lot of witch hunts and we've seen a lot of harassments towards these parties, whether the cases are extreme or not. And I, I think it's important to realize that outside of Smash and outside of, you know, the, our gaming community, these are still, you know, human beings at the end of the day. And these, these people still have lives outside of Smash and that, you know, being, you know, no matter how severe the the situation is and the case is being banned from smash tournaments and being banned from the smash community is all in all is a pretty light punishment compared to what you you know compared to the actual punishments that you can receive you know outside of a gaming community and it's important to remember that you know if these people are removing themselves from the community if, if for any reason you know they're not involved anymore it's important not to to harass them to the point of self-harm and like I said, they're still human beings and their their health still matters above all. And they still deserve to be, I mean, this is going to not, sorry to sound very blunt, but they still deserve to be alive, you know, at the end of the day. And they still deserve to, you know, have a job and, you know, be able to live, you know, just because 
they were involved in such a scenario doesn't mean they should, you know, go into self-harm and be harassed by, you know, thousands, hundreds and thousands of individuals online. So I, I definitely don't agree with the way the community has been handling it. And I think there should be a lot more maturity coming forward uh, when these types of cases come up. Mm. And, you know, speaking of that kind of dogpile stuff that was happening, I remember uh, top player Mewtwo King was also accused of um, improper behavior. And it came to light that the accusations made against him were completely false. And he had to actually make a video kind of explaining um, why physically he would have, he would be unable to do that, which is very, I guess, personal and embarrassing for him. Um, you know, how, how can the community get better at not just jumping on to anything that anybody says? Um, I think a big thing that the community needs to learn is to, to always listen to both parties first you know, um, there's always two sides to, to a story. There's always different perspectives. And we've seen a couple situations in the situ- in, this, in the community where, you know, play uh, the, the general community will see the initial statement and think that like, oh, this person has to be the culprit. They have to be guilty, this and that. You know, we need to get them out of the community. And then when we get the other perspective and we get more information and more evidence on certain things, you know, people start to realize like, oh, you know, like I said, it's not as black and white. You know, there's certain things that were maybe twisted in certain ways, certain details of the scenario that weren't, you know, quite what we thought it was. And, you know, it's important to, to, to see both sides. And another thing, too, I believe that whenever something serious like this happens, we should always seek to someone who's professional, either seeking lawyers or medical professionals to handle these sort of situations because they're much more, they're much more trained to do this they're much more prepared uh and they just they know better how to handle these types of situations and i don't think that i think it's very dangerous to let public opinion uh control these types of cases and i think it's as much as you know tournament organizers and consultants can advise each other as to what to do when these cases occur we shouldn't be the ones to make the end all be all decisions and i think we should be working with these uh, medical and legal professionals to figure out what the best decision is for these players. Mm. Do you feel that, you know, the players should create some kind of union and with their union dues can help uh, put certain like lawyers and professionals on retainers so that uh, regardless of what situation does occur, there are people that they can easily consult with uh, rather immediately that will, in a sense, help represent them or give them the best possible advice? Um, sorry, could you repeat that question? Sure. Do you feel that the players should create a player union of sorts in which their fees help keep either attorneys or other professionals on retainer that can help them whenever you know difficult situations like this uh, arise? You know, there's. I mean, I think that's that. That's definitely one solution. Um, I think a a big problem why we're not able to handle these types of situations most efficiently is you know. Like I'm sure, like I'm sure you're aware, there's definitely a lack of funding in the scene as a whole. And while we want to to contact these medical and legal professionals, it's definitely very expensive to do so. And you know, we don't have quite the resources uh, to to really um, acquire that type of help. Um, I think a player union is definitely one approach to it. Um, and I, I know that you know there's definitely a lot of discussions happening every day in terms of what the the best possible solutions are. Uh, but rest assured that we're we're doing the best we can to find the the best solutions uh, moving forward. So, hmm. and with that, Cyrus, thank you so much for jumping on. Yeah, no problem, man. My pleasure. Thank you again for reaching out.
And now I'm joined by Dr. Dave Amirazvani. Dr. Dave is a physical therapist with a focus on esports. Earlier this week, Jung XZ Kihyo announced his retirement from the Overwatch League. The Dallas Fuel Star DPS, who joined the team last year, announced that he suffered from disc issues, forward head posture, and scoliosis. He said that the time he spent sitting around during scrims became excessive, only exacerbating the issue. XZ will be flying back to Korea to focus on treatment and exercise. So, Dr. Dave, this is not the first time we've heard of hand issues or any other issues that pop up when playing extensively uh, in scrims. When you hear of somebody having disc issues or back issues, especially when it comes from playing the game for long periods of time, what is your initial kind of reaction in what they may be doing wrong and how that might be reversed? So I guess, you know, before even getting into the intervention or the treatment of these sorts of issues, I guess the, my first initial reaction is always frustration. Frustration for the players primarily, just because unfortunately right now in, in the space, there isn't a, a substantial infrastructure to prevent these sorts of things from happening. And the unfortunate problem is, is that they are very preventable, right? These issues that uh, esports athletes face uh, from a physical standpoint, can be very easily prevented, just like we can prevent them and treat them in the office worker population when dealing with, uh, you know, excessive repetitive movements or postures and ergonomics. So uh, I guess my first initial reaction is, is a lot of frustration just because it, you know, it could have been prevented long before it even got to this point. But beyond that, there's obviously a lot of things that, uh, you know, esports athletes and, and even, you know, casual gamers as a whole can do to prevent these sorts of issues from from becoming much greater than they need to be. And obviously that includes a lot of different things from, from an ergonomic standpoint, from a corrective exercise standpoint, from what we like to call a prehabilitative standpoint. Um, again, sort of my always go-to saying is to, you know, put the fires out before they even start, so to speak. I think what's interesting is that uh, Exe is only 19 years old, meaning that mm-hmm. some of these comp- preventative measures would probably have need to be implemented when he was, you know, getting into competitive gaming, maybe at like 12 or 13. I mean, is it how bizarre is it for somebody of his age to be suffering from these issues? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too. I mean, you you look at the competitive scene right now and, and whether it's Overwatch or League of Legends or whatever it is, and uh, you look at the amount of time spent in the practice environment uh, and even outside of the practice environment, right? Because a lot of these guys, they are, you know, on their, on their, you know, downtime or away time uh, from, you know, their structured practice schedules. They're still, you know, jumping into solo queue or they're streaming or so it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, 16 plus hours a day. A lot of times that they're, you know, maintaining, you know, static postures for extended periods of time. Uh, and this can go on for months and months and months at a time and to the point where, you know, it reaches its, you know, no pun intended, breaking point, right? The thing is, is that because of the non-traumatic nature of all of these, you know, quote unquote injuries, they're so preventable. Um, and, you know, something as simple as a, as a regular exercise regimen uh, to help decrease some of the repetitive stress on certain muscle groups while strengthening other muscle groups uh, can really do a lot to mitigate the effects of prolonged static postures. I don't even think it would have been something that was implemented years ago. 
Although, unfortunately, from a player perspective, a lot of esports athletes have somewhat of a fear of uh, mentioning these issues to their orgs uh, for fear of being benched or uh, dropped from a roster. Uh, if there's any slightest sense of uh, that they're not able to compete at a high level, uh, that puts their position and, uh, you know, essentially their job security at risk. So a lot of times players, you know, I've had it plenty of times in the past where, you know, I've, I've worked with a player and, and I, you know, my first initial question is how long has this been going on? You know, when did, the, when did you first started noticing this bothering you? And then I hear things like, oh, you know, a year ago, two years ago. And I, and it's, and it's baffling because normally, right, if, if you have a problem, you, you want to address it as soon as possible. But again, given the nature of the, the competitive scene and the, again, quote unquote job security that's oftentimes at risk if they're not able to perform at their their highest they they make no mention of it they put it off they ignore it uh they think it's something that it'll just go away i mean if you look at young male athletes in general uh can be pretty stubborn uh and given that that's the you know predominant population here in esports it's it's unfortunate that it takes so long to get to this point but uh again very easily preventable I know that, well, in regards to Exe, you know, he has back issues and I know there are more ergonomic chairs. I mean, do you recommend that players go out and buy a $1,300 Herman Miller chair to prevent back issues? <laughs> so this was actually, you know, when, when that, uh, you know, that whole chair uh, was announced and, and there was a lot of debate over it, you know, even to this day, I still see you know, people on Twitter and, and, and leaving comments places, oh, this back saved, or this chair saved my back, it saved my life, invest in your health and this and that. Absolutely, I agree, invest in your health, but there's so many cheaper alternatives to investing in your health that are absolutely much more profound than simply spending a lot of money on, on a single chair. There's obviously some chairs that are out there that are, are much better than others, but as a whole, the gaming chair uh, scene is, has a lot of growth. Uh, and I, I think if there's only, you know, there's one positive thing that that's come of Herman Miller entering the space is that it, it challenges these, you know, traditional gaming chair companies that we see that these race car seats and these bucket seats that really, if you look at the office space or, or ergonomic work environment have no place in whatsoever. So why should they in esports or in, and gaming? Uh, but I don't think, you know, someone needs to spend an, an enormous amount on a chair because if they're maintaining uh, dynamic postures throughout the day, if they're maintaining a regular routine of exercises, if they're sleeping properly, if their nutrition is uh, in line, these are all things that have a greater impact on overall performance and health than simply uh, kind of what brand of chair you're sitting in. Hmm. And let's for my final question let's go back in time let's assume that you're able to talk with Exe when he was like 14 or 15 what is one or two pieces of advice you would give to him to help prevent future back issues from occurring yeah so unfortunately a lot of times these pressures and demands that come on to the players comes from the organization so you know with Exe it's it's one of those things that if you know his his org is is pushing him to to scrim and you know practice a certain amount of hours in a day that's repetitive it's exhausting it's more of a of an infrastructure issue than a player issue right because at the end of the day the players are going to do a lot of times what they're told whether it's from you know their their player manager a, a gm a coach um and if this 
has a if there's just a lack of infrastructure uh, that's you know emphasizing their overall health and wellness a lot of times then the responsibility comes onto the player but again the players are focused on doing what they do best and that's playing the game so it's really hard right now for players to uh, you know make sound decisions especially if they don't have a, a background of of health and wellness like we see in traditional athletes so I would tell them, you know, you have to, the responsibility is on you. You can't rely on an organization to set up your environment to be optimal for you because at the end of the day, these orgs are businesses. And unfortunately, a lot of them aren't investing in player health and wellness. Now, there's certainly a few out there who are, and I think it's great. But as a whole, as a, you know, the majority of the industry still has a lot of growing to do in this one particular area. And it's almost like every other week we, we see another story, you know, that's, that's, quite frankly, it's tragic, right? That these young players are having to retire or step away or be benched because of these easily preventable issues. So I would tell him, make health a priority. Um, time away from the game is actually beneficial. Um, and just to, you know, have that self-awareness of whether or not to continue playing or to say, okay, well, there's this diminishing return in terms of practice hours. And once you've reached that limit, then step away and, and, you know, do something else. (laughs) Mm. And with that, thank you so much for jumping on, Dr. Dave. Thank you. I appreciate it. And that was FDW with Ahmad Khan, part of the Dot Esports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and share. For full transcripts of the show, head on over to fdwamad.com. To find Cyrus, you can find him on Twitter at CAGT3000. To follow Dr. Dave, you can find him at DPTDave on Twitter. To follow me and my work over at Tom's Guide, you can find me at Imad on Twitter. This episode was produced by Enrique Damore and Jacob Wolf. Executive producers are Kevin Morris and Thomas Tischio. Special thanks to our guests. And with that, we'll catch you guys next week.